Good morning again. I know sometimes we come to church and we sing and we serve and then we check out. That's fine. I get it. I've heard thousands of sermons. I don't remember a ton of them. But today we need to work. Because you heard the scripture, right? We need to work. Otherwise, we're going to be like, that's weird. What? And so we're going to dig for a bit. And this might become a two-part sermon because there's a clock in front of me and there's so much to get to. And that's okay. Because... I think we have another Sunday. I can't be sure, but I think we have another Sunday until the election day. No kidding. Big joke. Everyone laugh. Come on. Funny, funny, funny. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's where we're at. So anyways, um, let me pray and we'll get into Matthew and I'll um, go to Isaiah and back to Matthew and all that fun stuff. But Timmy, I'll let you know. So let's pray. Father, help us and help me. Thank you for um, this gathering. Thank you for people, Lord, and thank you for not... Uh, leaving us adrift, and we do pray for those suffering, not only in Haiti, but around the world, uh, through natural disaster or through, you name it, Lord, and uh, as people, we have a rough track history, a rough road that we've put forth for thousands of years, so help us, and help us as American, Western, at least on the West Coast, in a beautiful area, see what your son has to say today, in Jesus' name, amen. Men. So like I said, we need to work. So put your working gloves or boots or hard hat on. Jesus, when he came, was ushering in the kingdom of God. That's misunderstood a lot. Jesus said, right when he started his ministry, remember what he said? For today, the kingdom is at hand. Which I often forget because I grew up in a middle class, Caucasian, Baptist tradition, On the West Coast in 1970s and 80s. Great time. Roll Niners back then, right? Unbelievable. Best time to grow up in the world. San Mateo, 1981. It was amazing. You could still buy a house and you could play baseball all summer. But I grew up in a tradition where this guy, Jesus, showed up. If you pray a prayer, you are good. You will go to heaven one day and then go do whatever you want. That was my religion. Anybody relate with that? Mm Hmm? But when Jesus showed up in Luke 4 and in other passages, he proclaimed by reading parts of Isaiah that this has been fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, and he began to teach and model what the kingdom was like back then and is like now, and what will it become. So real, not to confuse you, Jesus ushered in God's kingdom and is the here and now, but it is already to come, I'll say it this way. We call it the already here but not yet kingdom. The already here, breaking forth, but not yet. Because there is a day to come. That's our hope. But if we are fatalistic, like I used to be, and say, I got a ticket to heaven, I can do whatever I want, that's, that's bad religion, that's bad logic, that's bad humankind. But it's so easy to do that, right? But Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to live for lots of reasons, mainly for you and me and this thing, but so others will see. And there is a hope to come. The Bible talks a lot less about heaven than we care to believe sometimes. And the Bible talks a lot less about hell than we care to believe sometimes. The Bible talks a lot less about Satan than we care to believe. Why? Because as American consumers, those three topics are the best-selling things in our Christian bookstores. Think about that. 
the Bible, and Jesus specifically in the Gospels, talks much more about how our Savior would have us pursue him every day of our life with the hope that, yeah, he'll come back, but it's all good then, right? Because <laughs> he's here, and his kingdom is fully fulfilled. That's kind of a weird thing to say. So remember that. Jesus is saying something. And he says what? As Debbie read, well, let me read it, Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets. False prophets are as old as the day is long. They've been here the whole time. Most of them want your wallet. Now many false prophets wear elephant, what's the other one? Donkey hats. And they promise everything. They just say, give. And they usually don't come through on hardly anything. So Jesus talks about false prophets from a religious bent, but also a political bent, a socioeconomic bent. And he simply uses common sense and logic. What does he say? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Anybody ever seen a documentary on a wolf? They're awesome, but you don't want them leading any group of people because <laughs> they're awesome and they are cunning and strong and fast and smart and they are four stages ahead of their prey usually at all times. I saw a pack of wolves take down a 2,500-pound buffalo on TV in Yellowstone and it was like, I would not mess with those wolves because they know what they're doing. Next verse. You will recognize them by their what? Fruits. You will recognize false prophets. You will recognize those who look cute and cuddly and kind and inviting by what their life produces over a long period of time usually, but what their life produces. And then Jesus gets real logical. And he goes this, are grapes gathered from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? And his hearers, which were common day folks like us, would go, no. Next verse, 17. So every, and then he makes another statement, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. In the end of Jesus' sermon, he's using three metaphors. We saw one metaphor last week. What was it? The road. There's a difficult road and a broad road. Now he's using trees. He says every one of us is like a tree. We all will produce something. Specifically, he talks early on about these false prophets, but this is the whole point. We must know what God determines fruit to be. If we're going to get any of this last, last week, this week, maybe next week, and the weeks to come, if we're going to get the conclusion of this great sermon by Jesus, we have to define what is the fruit God is looking for? Or we're gone. Because then we're just doing our thing. Because Jesus is pointing to something that is so clear in the scriptures, I want us to see it. Jesus has ushered in the kingdom back then. It's still here now. It's moving. It's usually moving in places we're not looking. That's the way God works. And it will ultimately be fulfilled with his second coming. But Jesus is teaching us about this fruit. The last metaphor, you're probably familiar, some of you, he talks about two houses. One built on rock, one built on sand. We sang about kind of that metaphor earlier on. Solid rock of Christ. 
Now here's where we got to work. This is kind of huh. When Jesus came into the world, him coming as God incarnate, that's kind of weird, but his coming as the supreme good one, the supreme kind one, the supreme perfect one, the supreme just one, the supreme merciful one, automatically indicts me and you because I love all of you, but you're not supremely good. You're not, we could debate that, right? I'm not supremely merciful. I'm not. I try and be pretty merciful. I'm not supremely good. My mom's here. She would say yes because she's a good mom, but have her tell you some stories from way back when. The point is, Jesus coming automatically, and hear this the right way, places a judgment onto us. Now, that's hard to hear because we are Americans, and we have an interesting view of justice and judgment, and the judgment justice system, we'll say it that way. But Jesus comes and sheds light onto all humanity. Remember the Old Testament. What were the prophets, and what was the law compared to? It was like the moon in the sky. I say it a lot. Anybody been to Yosemite on a full moon night? It's amazing. Anybody been to Yosemite at noon? It's more amazing. <laughs> okay? Wait a minute. No, it's more amazing. Because the noonday sun, just like Jesus, illuminates everything, and we see things as they are, not as shadows. The moon, full moon, moon's beautiful. Can you hike half dome in a full moon? Technically, yeah, if you're Jimmy Chin or a pro climber, but you shouldn't. But Jesus has come to shed true light on humanity, and that's why judgment has come with him. Don't be scared. Be inquisitive. Jesus, show me things I don't know about this life, about humans, about myself, about my heart. You know what the biggest mystery to me is in my life? My own heart. Anybody ever been there? Dave, why are you doing that? I don't know. That's my heart. That's your heart. But Jesus in grace can shed light onto our hearts. He can show us why we're motivated certain ways, why we tend to try and manipulate certain times, why we are so insecure at times. And here this church, he does this all in grace as a shepherd does to a lamb, not with an iron rod. His tactics are not like the military or like ISIS. They are like a father to a dear child. That's how he communicates to us, and this is what he's doing here. So this notion of fruit, what is the fruit? We could go through the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus isn't talking about that specifically. He is, in a sense, fulfilling a story or a parable 700 years told in the past. Quickly, Isaiah chapter 1. Sorry to me, Isaiah chapter 5. If you have a Bible, flip there. Isaiah, the prophet, was talking to people in Jerusalem and in Judah, and he spoke prophetically in a little bit of a parable. We read some of Isaiah chapter 1 last week, but look at Isaiah 5. Look at the first verse. He says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. I don't know much about wine or grapes, but vineyards are beautiful when they look right, right? <laughs> On a fertile hill, right? Isaiah 5, 1. Next verse. Speaking about a vineyard, speaking about a metaphor, speaking about a story, speaking about some type of analogy everyone will understand, he says this. He, God, dug it and cleared it of stones and planted 
With it, choice vines. He built a watchtower. That's cool, right? I'm going to pay some guy to go watch my vineyard. That's, that's awesome. In the midst of it, and hewed out a wine vat in it. This is awesome. Napa Valley, can you hear me? This is the good stuff, right? And he looked for it to yield fruit or grapes. Obviously, fruit. But in it, it yielded what? That's not the good wild. That's not Connor Gillespie three-run home run at City Field last Wednesday wild for you Giants fans. That's grapes that shouldn't be there. Next verse. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. So Isaiah prophetically says, this says the Lord. He's asking you to judge between you and your situation or the vineyard, or he's really saying, see the similarities. Next verse. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done to it? God, the owner of this land and this story, says, what else can I do to get it to bear good grapes or good fruit? When I look for it to yield grapes, fruit, why did it yield what? Wild grapes. Fruit that shouldn't have been there. Next verse. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. He says, I'm going to remove all the protection. I'm going to let it go. Oh, that's tough. It's going to be trampled down. Next verse. I will make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up, and I will also command the clouds that the rain may not rain upon it. Ouch. What does the owner of this vineyard and this metaphor, this story, this parable say? Judgment is coming because when I was looking for fruit, I wanted fruit, remember that word, I wanted fruit, the wrong fruit appeared. And since you're smart and since you're knowledgeable, you should already be asking, what kind of fruit was this person looking for? Next verse. Isaiah 5, 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So he's talking specifically now. If you didn't get it, this metaphor is about you, Israel, and the men of Judah, and his pleasant planting. What did he look for? What kind of fruit? Justice. He didn't get justice. The wild grapes he got was bloodshed. Uh Uh-oh. He was looking for righteousness. He didn't get righteousness, but the wild grapes he actually got was an outcry from oppression. Now, this is not a geopolitical passage or a geopolitical sermon. This is for you and me in our hearts. I don't get paid enough. I don't have the time. I can't comment on it enough. I'm not a good enough writer to blog about what's going on in the world. I want to start with me and share it with a few people. Is that the best way to do it? Amen, because I don't know. Because if I see this for what it is, And if a small group of people sees Isaiah and Jesus' teachings and the Lord works on our hearts and we begin to live for righteousness and justice, our church will change for the good, amen. Your families will change for the good. This community will be 
impacted for the good in the Bay Area, and that's what we're called to do. Donald and Hillary, Godspeed. The UN and the G8, Godspeed. <laughs> I'll worry about me. And I'm calling us to worry about us. But this is interesting. This is why we had to work. This is why we had to see what Jesus was referencing. And I don't have time to get to Matthew 21, but he does it again. And real quickly, just so you know this, Isaiah was a bit of a hip-hop artist. He was a singer, a poet, a prophet, and he rhymed in cadence. I can't do it because my Hebrew's not that good and my accent is terrible. But at the end, we really lose it. Isaiah wanted a jingle. What's the jingle nowadays? Peyton Manning football fans? What's the Peyton Manning jingle? I wish you were always here. Whatever he says. It's in my head. I don't know it. But, but Isaiah wanted a jingle. He wanted God's people to remember, I didn't get justice. I got bloodshed. I didn't get righteousness. I got an outcry. So let me try and do it. Don't laugh. We'll laugh if you want. We're in church. It's okay to laugh in church. But this is at the end what Isaiah, what it would have sounded like, I believe. Thank goodness for the internet. Amen. When he says what? He looked for mishpat, but he got mispak. You can remember that, right? He looked, God looked for mishpat, but he got mispak. Uh-oh, that would stick in your brain if you're kind of thinking about, wait a minute. He looked for sedekah and got sahaka. Ooh, English doesn't do it justice, huh? Literally, no pun intended. But Isaiah's hearers and readers would have been like, oh, yeah, that's how good God is. You ever wake up in the middle of the night with something really stupid stuck in your brain? You ever go to the bathroom and be like, why am I singing a Peyton Manning jingle? <laughs> okay, it worked, advertising. But the point is, God in grace was forewarning the people, and he was using language <laughs> and prophetic utterances to show his people what he wanted. He wants righteousness. I'll define that in a second. This will be a two-part sermon because we're up against it. And he wants justice, and that's the fruit he is looking for. Going all the way back to Matthew 7, if there is a religious someone, or if there is someone in authority, and if there is someone with special divine this or divine that, or at work, or even in your family, and they aren't producing... Righteousness and justice over long periods, just be warned. Be cordial, be merciful, don't take debate, and don't sign your checkbook, amen? Let it be. Let it be. So in this jingle, God looked for mishpat, yet he got mispak. God looked for sedekah, yet he got sahakah. The nation would have understood. Oh, but we show up to temple... On time. We wear the right clothes. We do the right sacrifices. We don't walk certain distances on Sabbath because it would be against our belief. We look at the outcasts and those who are widowed or single moms and go, you must be a really bad sinner for God to put you in that position. Those had their context and reasons but God in this parable in Isaiah says, I'm looking for righteousness and justice. 
Dave, what's righteousness and justice? We'll get there a lot next week because I will cut it short. We sang about some of what God sees as righteousness. This is the gospel message. Because God desires a right relationship between human beings and himself, he sent his son to die on a cross to take my death and yours, and in his goodness now he gives me Jesus' life and says, son or daughter, and this is to be received only by faith. I can't work my way to get that. God says, it's a free gift, and faith is the link. Paul would later say, it's a gift. So we can't boast. So God desires righteousness, and here, it's not a big churchy word, it is rightly relating to our creator, our father, and that's received by faith. And in that receiving, in us being changed, in God himself coming and changing our heart and giving us via the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to call them utterances, but the leading of the Spirit, now he says, go do justice. And hear me, it's not simply volunteering for Greenpeace, but if that's your thing, go for it. What is justice? What is this fruit of justice God is looking for? He just explained it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he wrapped it up in Matthew 7, 12. Can you put it up there, Timmy? He wrapped it up in Matthew 7, 12, if we, if we forgot. Everyone says, oh, the golden rule? Look at the last three words. This is what the whole thing was about, God says, through Jesus. So justice is simply this, treating other people with dignity, and respect, seeing them as human beings, not as Republican or Democrat or lifestyle ways or not, seeing them as human beings and go, I will treat you in a way that my Savior has treated me. How can I help you is usually the best thing, right? My little example last week of Debbie, if Debbie doesn't want help, I offer it, I'm like, Godspeed. Story time and we're done. I don't tell enough stories. We planted a church almost... Seven years ago, wow. I was young and naive and young and naive back then. And when you start a church, when you meet in a school, <laughs> you get all types of people coming to visit you. You get some of those who are angry at the church and just want to see the new thing, right? You get some who are not angry at the church that want to come and take over and do their thing, and you're like, okay. But I remember one person this person came, and um, to tell you the truth, it was a mess. Like the things that were going on, it was a mess. And we prayed and tried to help, and we prayed and tried to help, and we prayed wanting this person to get well and wanting this person to get off certain medications and get a job they desired. And to tell you the truth, it hasn't happened yet. And this is five years later. And most Christians in most ministry would say, Failure! But why I was proud to be a part of that is because we showed that person the best of our ability how to model a right relationship with God, receiving his forgiveness by faith, thanking God for that. And then in all of our loving and all of our trying, we befriended this person and were just to them whenever we met with them, even though there were hard meetings sometimes. We treated this person with dignity and respect, and this person has a few friends and this person doesn't have many other friends. And if this person texts someone in here or me, it's always, how are you doing? I'd love to talk with you. Now there's different situations and different people are different, but justice and righteousness 
is the fruit God is telling us about. Last story. We had another gentleman come, and he was hard. And he was um, very good theologically. He was a theological giant in his own mind. (laughs) And he had two daughters and a wife, and it was a difficult situation. And he said some interesting things about me and my style of leadership, and that's fine. So be it. This isn't a Dave show, but I'm just trying to give you a story. But I had to meet with him five or six times, and it was great. And I just talked with him and sat with him and tried to model Christ to him. And he passed away suddenly. And I got a call, and his wife said, would you say a few words at his funeral? Because you were one of the only friends that he had, even though we disagreed on most things theologically. But my point is justice and righteousness. I tried to treat this gentleman, even though it was hard, the way I would want to be treated in his situation. I'm not trying to guilt or lecture anybody, but I think that's how Jesus wants us to walk especially here, especially now. We'll get into all next week. There's a whole thing with miracles, if you've read this section. Lord, Lord, we prophesied and cast out demons and did amazing things in your name, and Jesus says, yeah, but I don't know you. So we'll talk specifically next week how the kingdom, God's kingdom, is not primarily based on miracles. It's based on the fruit God desires from us, which is righteousness, right relating to God, and justice. Let's pray. Why don't you stand? Thanks for being here and battling the traffic. We still finished on time. Just do a two-part sermon, right? That's how we roll. It'll be good. Uh, Let me pray for us all. Please join us for fellowship across the way. Um, Let me just pray. I've said enough. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for all these souls. Thank you for all these people. Give us the grace to see what you have desired for people to be for thousands of years. Father, give us the grace to uh, take inventory of our hearts and see where we stand in relation with you. And then in that, how does it impact how we walk and live and love and work and serve and do all the things we do? Father, I pray that you would bless us and keep us, that your face would shine upon us, that you would be gracious to us all the days of our life, and that your countenance would be lifted up upon us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.